I'm K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Network Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with the author of the Path of the Pale Rider comic series, Lori Calcutta, here to promote the Kickstarter for the comic's second issue. Welcome back, Lori. Thanks for having me on, Kayla. I, I always enjoy coming back on to shows and catching up with uh, hosts. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, but thank you for reaching out, and we definitely caught up, luckily, before, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Outside my introduction, for new listeners and potential backers for the Kickstarter, who is mm. Lori Kakatara in her own words? I am a whew, indie comic creator and a lifelong martial artist. I uh, actually started my journey by choreographing fight scenes uh, for a production company in Detroit, and I got uh, the writing bug from there. They asked me to produce content. So I was writing web series and wrote this full-length movie, which uh, is the story for Path of the Pale Rider. And I didn't know what to do with it. So at that point, um, my husband read it and was we're both big comic book readers. We read a lot of Image, we read a lot of DC. Um, and it was just, it was kind of a no-brainer for him. Like, why don't we make this a comic book? And I was like, you're right. You know, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, so that's what we started to do. So in 2022, um, we started moving forward with turning the series into a comic book. Yeah, and I, you know, we were just talking about how I'm interested in in screenwriting. Yeah. So um, maybe we can talk about a little bit of that later because I'm really interested. <laughs> in I don't want to uh, deteriorate right. so much from the comic. Um, but what is the Path of the Pale Rider about for those who are new, and what should returning readers expect in the second issue? Oh, good question. So Path of the Pale Rider is a Western apocalypse. It's kind of like a spaghetti Western meets sci-fi action. Um, so if people like, um, I, there's always the good, the bad, and the ugly for the kind of the Western feel, but like Book of Eli, um, I Am Legend, uh, I play a lot of Fallout. So Fallout 4 is still my favorite game. So like that kind of apocalypse world mixed with a spaghetti western but in this world um the death process is broken so people and animals and insects nothing can die anymore well let me rephrase that your body can die but your soul or your energy doesn't leave your body upon death so you get to hang out and experience your own decay <laughs> so these poor people who are now undead are are Basically, their brain is rotting in their skull and they start to slowly descend into madness. So we have forgetfulness, you know, which is normal as you get older anyway. But then you have um, just chaotic behavior. You can have indifference. You can have violence. Um, it's just uh, it's a bad situation because these are not uh, people that are zombies that are craving to eat brains in human flesh. It's like it's your neighbor. It's your mom. It's your you know, your best friend who just died of natural causes and now is stuck in their body and, and going through this. Um, it creates a lot of problems in this world where we have famine, uh, we have riots, we have government um, overstep and then government disillusion. Um, it, where we actually start in issue number one is 10 years into the apocalypse and things have basically devolved back to the wild west. So it's mm -hmm. in the future, but it seems like it's in the past. You can kind of figure out from context clues because there's technology that is um, current technology or future technology. Um, but yeah, but uh, the way people are dressed, it's like the old West. So 
It's a rough place. Uh, issue number one is basically you get to meet Jude St. Clair, um, who's our protagonist cowboy, um, and he's looking for the answer to why the dead no longer die. He made some decisions, which helps you understand him. But uh, one of those decisions, just a small decision, has some really dire consequences. And that's kind of what I was trying to show the reader is this world is unforgiving and any little decision you make could have terrible consequences. So at the end, he kind of had to recover from what happened and he's heading into the town of Santa Claus. So that's where we pick up in issue number two. Mm -hmm. um, Jude is going into Santa Claus looking for this guy named Dwayne Fink. <laughs> And, and if you look at our Kickstarter page, I give you the first four pages and um, he goes into the saloon and they're like, oh, there's a stranger, you know what I mean? Because they don't get people very often. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he says to the bartender, I'm looking for this guy. He's super important. He has substantial information. His name is Dwayne Fink. And the, the bartender's like, oh, it's a lucky day. He's right over there. He turns around and it's this like town drunk. <laughs> it's like a town <laughs> idiot. And he's going on and on about the man of gold who snared death and um, no longer ages and like we're being judged by God and that um, the man of gold sits on a throne of lies while the world fills with undead and just insane crazy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then like proceeds to get angry, climb on the table, slash his beer on everybody and then fall off. You know what I mean? So this is the guy that Jude has been looking for, <laughs> that guy. And the bartender is even like, are you sure this is the important person that you've been looking for? And Jude's like, yep, the things I got to do to get information. So uh -huh. something's going to happen, obviously. But it's like, it's that cool moment of this guy's a crazy person. Like, should we believe anything he has to say? Or is he saying something worthwhile? You never know, you know? Uh -huh. So you'll have to read to people will have to read to find out, you know, it's, uh -huh. a, it's a wild ride. I think we may have spoken about this before, but um, I guess it'd be good for new readers to know yeah. as well. Um, do you ever discuss or is it ever mentioned like um, deteriorative diseases and um, What's uh, like a bodily autonomy that may be take that might be removed from people who are undead, or even someone like Fink, like he's a, the town drunk, but like is he not? How do you know when somebody's undead? Because it's like oh, someone a drunk and someone who has a disease, uh, whatever. Like what qualifies you to be undead before you actually are undead? That's a great question, and uh, I actually built a device for that. So in our story, everybody wears this circular thing called a disc on their chest. So the thing that differentiates the living versus the undead is of course their heartbeat, right? Once heart's, heart's not beating anymore, you're not alive, you're undead. You start to decay like a, like a dead body would. Um, but, you know, being undead comes with consequences where maybe they try to take you out of the town. Like Santa Claus is not friendly to undead people. If you look at those first four pages, I get I give you they have signs all over the place it says undead not welcome you know we'll hang you from the gate and they have on like zombies just hanging out like if you go to santa claus and you're undead and they catch you they stick you on the front gate as a warning they're not nice so you know there's undead that are trying to pass as living for as long as possible as long as they can 
obviously if you're decaying to the point where you're losing flesh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna pass for much longer, but they will, this disc when it's activated will have a color to it. So if you're alive, it's green, it shows your heartbeat like on the heart monitor and it has a speaker where it is beating with the sound of your heart. So it's an audio and visual clue that that person is alive. And if you're undead, it's the opposite where it turns red, it'll flatline and the alarm will go off like you're, you know, flatlining at the hospital. So that everybody has that mental and audio image in their head. So, but since it's technology, these undead beings are trying, they might, someone might figure out how to hack the disc. So that way it just shows green. Um, so that's a possibility in this world. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things that I think that the undead would try and tackle is how to appear living for much longer than what normally, what you normally could, because decay happens pretty quick, you know, uh, when a, when a person actually dies in this world, within a couple of days, you're you're well into decomposition, right? Even hours, you're in, you're well into decomposition, but it happens, you know what I mean? So maybe after three days, you can't pass as living anymore, but in this world. They have figured out ways either like embalming themselves or chemical or makeup or a combination of such that would help them pass for longer as living. So um, I do have an extended flashback in the story where I will take people through like how they discover everything, how it kind of progresses. Um, you, you know, so you'll kind of see like what happens if someone dies from natural causes or what happens if they get like a head injury and die because their, their decay is, is two different rates, right? Because if your brain is functioning when you die, or your brain is, has a hole in it because you got in a hunting accident, you're going to act completely differently, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Because if your brain's not working, you're acting crazy. So yeah. Did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, it answered the yeah, question yeah. and it kind of brought up other ideas that I, mean, I don't want to put on you because I feel like I'm, when people tell me stuff I don't want to burden them with more stuff so yeah because I, I was thinking when you said hacked I'm thinking oh they could a way of hacking can be if they can get into the system would probably be like they mimic another living person's heartbeat yes. bit, which would be pretty cool yeah and I, I there's instances of that in the comic where oh. like celebrities or people that you know are in um, under the camera a lot, you know what I mean? And they don't want to be collected. They don't want to go separate. They don't, you know what I mean? So they're trying to stay in the world of a living for a long time, but it's like if their disc comes off of them and it's still beating, that's a problem because if it's not attached to anybody and it's showing a heartbeat, it's been hacked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so stuff like that happens in this world where it's like, oh, that person's hacked disc like they've been undead for a while I wonder how long you know what I mean so it's just kind of like drama you know the um paparazzi find them stuff like that <laughs> yeah, yeah so Lori how has your creative process changed in any way if it has from issue one to issue two like maybe I mean you're working with the same artists so has anything changed as far as like the marketing strategies like I know you've done like other short videos like kind of like commercials for it as well have those changed um has the audience increased or any other type of marketing strategies that you've instilled now yeah um it's weird because it's only been six months since we have talked 
Uh-huh. Like, I feel like I'm in a completely different place. Just having like one Kickstarter, one Kickstarter under my belt, having done all the shows and not only growing my audience, but growing my, in my community. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot more indie creators who I'm familiar with, you know what I mean? Where I can bounce ideas off of and like, Hey, who do you use for shipping? Or what do you do about barcodes? And you know what I mean? And like, what is VATS tax? And all these things I had no clue about, you know, back when I started. Now it's like, I feel like I'm able to contribute to the community. Um, So between that, like I I still have my Facebook group. Um, We got about 400 people. I was like, I checked it earlier today. It was 399 people. I'm like, come on, we need more person. (laughs) We got a round number. So there's that. I'm in another group that I manage called Zombies Live. So myself and like uh, Sam Willis, uh, it's like Sam and Trey and Brandon. So it's from Ray's Comic and Avalon, um, which are two other indie uh, uh, comic creations about zombies. Mm -hmm. So we kind of all banded together and made our own little group because zombies, uh, people are, I don't know, they kind of have this feeling that the zombie trope has like jumped the shark to put it in, you know, in so many words that there's not really anything new or exciting coming out. And it's like, well, hey, the three of us have something new and exciting and we want to share it with you. So it's just kind of like a cross promotion thing. Like if you Mm -hmm. like Path of the Pill, right, or you probably will like Raisin Avalon and same thing. Like if you like Avalon, you're probably like Raisin Path of the Pill, Rider. So it's just the three of us kind of banding together. Um, We're our own support team. You know, it's like we cheer each other on. We help um, promote each other when someone's running a Kickstarter and um, give give each other more opportunities to get in the public eye. You know what I mean? Because that I think is the hardest part is the marketing, like you said. Um, we have a great story. We have great art. Um, Marco is still on the project doing every every aspect. Um, the only thing he doesn't do is letter, which is what I do. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, so it's like people will come and people will enjoy our story if they knew that we exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the hardest part is being like, hey, did you know? You know, um, so finding new markets, finding new fans to come in. Uh, just so they can come in and enjoy. Um, We have another short film. So we did uh, like a mock commercial. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, for the people that are new listening, uh, we have our main comic stories. So kind of like the meat and potatoes, that's the main storyline that you're going to get, right? But the world is so big that I decided we we could explore some of the other things that are happening in the world that our protagonist is not going to see. So if you're, if he doesn't see it happening, you're not getting it in the comic, right? So we could do like a short film. Um, so it's like, if you were in Path of the Pill Rider flipping through the TV, you would see a commercial for the undead retirement community. So that's what we did. You know what I mean? We did that and it had like riots and we do stunts and things on fire. And I had someone shoot someone else in a, in a very safe way. There was no... <laughs> We had no casualties, thank goodness. Uh, we lit some things on fire. Like we try to make things exciting. You know what I mean? Because in this world, things are chaotic. So in this issue, we released a short film where um, the fans actually got to tell me what they think broke the death process. So we put it together like it was a newsreel and I was a reporter interviewing people. Um, so there's some people where I'm in the scene and I have a microphone and I'm interviewing, but there's other people that, uh, you know, were not local and just 
sent me their video and I just edited it all together um, and made this short film. And it's really funny. Some of these conspiracy theories are way out there. Like some lady was like, it's cats. And like, she <laughs> or like it's McDonald's, it's sugar. Uh -huh. um, it's the government, um, nanotech technology, um, or someone said organic food and someone said GMO, you know, food. Um, it's just, it's, it's funny because I mean, for the times that we are living in right now, you know, going through COVID and everybody has a thought about where that came from. It's like, I don't know. It's almost like, um, what do you call it? What do they call it? Life imitating art. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or art yeah. imitating life one or the other. I actually wrote this in 2018 prior to the pandemic. So let that be known. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened to me before too, where I've written something, I wrote um, like a rave happening in an abandoned warehouse and like maybe four or five months later, it was like around this time of the year and I wrote it over the summer. So like in the fall, early winter, it actually ended up happening where it caught on fire with people <gasps> filling it here. Oh God. So yeah, I was like, and I, I was like, should I keep this in here? But it's like, I mean, that's not a new idea. Well, I mean, right. That's kind of felt bad too at the same time. I know sometimes it's like, is it too soon? I don't know. But um, then you just kind of have to put that in there. Like this was created prior to this, you know, it's not in response to. Um, so yeah, hopefully people, you know, understand that. And it's just like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we write, we've, we've, we're basing it off of things that have already happened and can happen again. You know what I mean? There's been riots, there's been, you know, protests, there's been pandemics, there's been conspiracy theories for as long as we've been alive. And they'll, they've been around for hundreds of years and there'll be new conspiracy theories after we're gone. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm writing anything that's like shockingly new or, you know, looking at current events. It's like, this stuff has been going on forever. So, but yeah, um, I also have a show every Tuesdays on the Comic Related Madness Network. Um, it's called The Tuesday Brew. Um, it's on YouTube where we stream onto Facebook and Twitter. So it's myself and like a whole group of other comic book creators. We just get together and we talk about whatever is shiny and new. And, um, you know, since they're all comic book creators, everybody's, you know, either running a project finish running a project or starting up on a new project. So it's kind of cool to like have a place where everybody can talk about what they're doing. And again, when something shiny shows up, we just go off the deep end. So it's like herding cats in that show. Um, they're a bunch of like loud personalities or like, what do you want to call it? What's that show that was on MTV back in the day? It was like the real world where all the people lived in the same house and we're all strangers and they were all like crazy. Yeah, yeah, the real world. Yeah, I feel like my show is that show. <laughs> because <laughs> people get on there and they're just they go off so it's funny so if everybody wants to like come hang out we do host other creators like I had Sam Vera from there's a uh, alien in my toilet and I'm gonna have a couple more um, coming up so um, people can always come on the show and talk about whatever they're working on too we'll make space for that so it's fun well, I kind of want to go back to how you mentioned, well, we were talking about marketing and you mm -hmm. uh, teaming up with Sam and Trey. Um, is it a marketing thing or is it like a networking issue? Or is it's, like, is there a real difference between the two? 
Uh, I think there is a real difference between the two. Uh, marketing wise, it's like I, I can market other people that I'm not networked with. Like I help market um, Sam Veras, there's an alien in my toilet. You know what I mean? Like he helps market my project. But when I have like, hey guys, I need this or what do you think about that? It's this group that I go to. You know what I mean? Not that I have a problem with Sam. It's just that that's the network that I choose. You know what I mean? Sam's a good guy too. Um, so yeah, so they kind of they kind of do both, um, where we help market each other's projects, but also we're each other's network. Like, uh, like I think you know we all Kickstarter, but it's you know we're all fairly new at it. This is my second Kickstarter. I think Brandon's on his second, and then. Sam and Trey just finished their first, even though they're five issues in. So it's like, hey, did you ever try this on Kickstarter? Or it's like, we forget, like, how do you do this? Or can you do that? Or and Brandon's like, can I set up this? And I'm like, yeah, you can do that. And if you don't like it, you can change it, you know? Um, so we just kind of all pick each other's brains, which is really great to have a support team, you know? Because um, a lot of times if you're going through it for the first time, it's, it can be scary, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um well, what tricks have you learned? It can be from the first one. It can be with the second one here and from the last six months, pretty much, right? Um, yeah. What have you learned to help maintain continuity and avoid plot holes as you continue with Path of the Pale Rider series? Ah, well, I, I kind of had an advantage because since I wrote this as a full-length movie, um, I wrote the whole first arc all at once. And then... Um, I'm nine issues into the second arc. So I had the, the ability to like basically finish the story before I, I, my artist even touched it. So I was able to complete the, the arc, go back and add things. Um, you know, I had other people read it and look for plot holes. You know, what do you think? Did this, that, the other? Did, did I follow all the rules? Um, I did have an issue in the second arc where I broke one of my rules and I was like, ah, and it's like, you have to go back and think about it. And it was in like issue number three. And then I kept, you know what I mean? Like I was writing, I'm all the way up to nine. And I was like, Ooh, that's the problem with this weapon. You know, did he have it on him at that time? And then where, you know what I mean? Like, did he lose the weapon? Now he has it. I have to make sure that he doesn't lose it in this part. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, yeah, you just have to go through the story. I reread my script all the time. Um, and then like, as I go to write a new issue, I'll make sure that I, I'm there, you know what I mean? But I have most of the rules and the world building in my head, having worked on this pretty continuously since 2018. Um, people are surprised, like I could tell them the whole story verbally and they're like, how do you have all this in your brain? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, it just fits in there, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I have to write everything, everything down. But even yeah. when I do write it down, I forget where I put it. So I have to kind of <laughs> pick it up. Like, like where? So I try to write it down on my phone because I have my phone with me all the time. But I like uh, actually writing stuff down with a pen on paper. I use so. three by five cards. So when I get new ideas, a lot of times I can, as I'm developing a whole arc, um, I'll write down ideas and like I might be able to fit stuff in like earlier that I had already written, if I used the three by five card method, I'd be like, da, 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 da. oh, this would be really good. Let's put it in issue number two. And then you could just rearrange your cards before you sit down and actually write a script. Because then I feel like there's massive rewrites that happen sometimes. Yeah. Well, what is something you wish 
illustrators, um, inkers, or just comic book collaborators in general um, that they knew or maybe were prepared more for when you were first in your rec recruiting stage for collaborators? What did they know more of? Hmm. How to meet deadlines? No. <laughs> That's, I think, one of the hardest part with artists is that um, they're creative and they don't like to be stifled. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like they draw the same thing for a while and they get bored with it and they want something new. Because usually, usually comic book artists have become comic book artists because they're drawing their own story, <laughs> right? And then they either get stuck or they don't have a, a concrete story or something, but they're a great artist. So it's like they'll draw some and then they get bored and they need something else. They'll pick up another project. Um, so I think that's the hard part with working with artists per se I had a hard time in the beginning. This is actually, Marco is my third artist that's attached to the project. The other two I'm still friends with and they're still great artists. They have done art for the project, but uh, managing time was a difficult part because especially with a Kickstarter, you promise to give them a product by a date. So it's not like they can take a three month hiatus. It's not like you know, if they miss a deadline and miss a deadline and miss a deadline, you have people that won't come back for the second issue or third issue or fourth, whatever one you're on, they're not going to keep coming back if you keep, you know, turning in late work pretty much, you know what I mean? So it's hard, you know, to, to have a, a business mentality about that and try to get the artist on board with that. Um, but again, it's like, if you, if they're getting paid, uh, like we have a system set out where it's like every four pages that Marco completes, he gets paid. So it's like, as long as he's turning work, he gets a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. So you would think that would motivate, but it doesn't always. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that's the hardest part, uh, with artists and that's kind of where it's like communication can break down. Um, you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that all expectations are communicated from both sides and then sign a contract. You know what I mean? Everybody needs to sign something that says what their responsibilities are, what their expectations are, what the page rates are, you know, um, everything, everything you can think of. So that way, if something comes up, you could be like, hey, we talked about this. This is, you know, what you said or what I said or blah, blah, blah. And then hopefully, you know, you can have an adult conversation and keep going. Because really, it's about everybody succeeding, right? Yeah. Well, throughout this whole process, do you or did you ever get overwhelmed with anything? Um, and I mean, not even just with the Path of Pale Rider. Like, you have this down pack. You wrote this all out. And, you know, you got your collaborator. You know what you're doing. The Kickstarter you're about to meet your deadline or, you know, the money is coming in and everything is great with the Kickstarter. But then you have like your home life, your, you know, your husband and then, you know, possible, I don't know if you have any kids or like pets or anything like that. And then trying to find time with your friends and other family members and maybe, maybe even just trying to find time for yourself. So like, did you yeah. ever get overwhelmed and like, did it ever become too much? And when it does, how do you typically maintain your mental well-being? I think the, the most overwhelming part of all of this is when you are running a Kickstarter, when the campaign is live. Because 
If people haven't done it before, let me tell you what you can expect from a Kickstarter. You do a crap ton of work to get ready for the Kickstarter. You go through an approval process. And once it's approved, then you start promoting it. You should be promoting it at least, uh, I would say, two to four weeks prior to going live, if not more, depending on your turnaround time. Like for me, um, we had a Kickstarter, you know, we had a surplus. We're using the surplus to keep Marco working, but at some point that money's going to run out. We have to run another Kickstarter if we want to keep going, right? So it's like you try to you try to think of advance. Okay, this is how far in time our money is going to get us. Let's make sure that we plan in advance so we're not having Marco sit around not working for two months, just one month, <laughs> or not at all. Hopefully, you know what I mean. If we can get a big enough surplus, then it's like he can keep working while we're kickstarting the next one. Um, so once the Kickstarter goes live, it's so, it's such a fine line because there's a lot of promotion that needs to happen. You need to be, um, promoting on social media. You need to be on shows like this, um, do a lot of them, make sure people can find you. People know that you exist because if, again, if they don't know who you are and they don't know your project exists, they can't come back to you. Um, so when you first launch your Kickstarter, if you've done your, your work, uh, you'll get a really great launch and day number one and day number two. That's common. That's when a majority of your money comes in is the first three days. After that, it slowly kind of trickles down to about a week, right? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think we're on day eight or nine. And then it's slow for the next two weeks. And that's normal. But it's excruciating. <laughs> Because it's like, okay, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I, who else can I talk to? Like, I don't know. So it's like, you, you try to find that healthy balance of, hey, I just want to remind you my Kickstarter is live. You know, you can go take a look. Let me know if you have any questions. But you don't want to hound people. You don't want to pressure people. Because again, they're going to come support you if they want to. But if you hound them in three and four and five times, they're going to be like nuts to that, Laura. I don't want to talk to you ever again, <laughs> right? So there's a fine line that you have to walk between promotion and harassing people. Don't harass people. Um, but yeah, it's just you're constantly questioning yourself and your motives and everything to, to see if there's, to, is there something else I could be doing to raise more awareness? But let me tell you, week three rolls around and right as you're coming out of the Kickstarter, that things pick up again. Um, so that's when you're going to get another solid week of constant interaction, um, growth, um, hopefully hitting your goal, hopefully hitting some stretch goals, and then building that surplus at the end. So um, that's typical for a Kickstarter. So it's managing your expectations, making sure you're not too hard on yourself, um, making, like you said, making time for your family. So you want to make sure like I'm, I'm doing like, um, an interview every day, sometimes two, but I try to work it around my family schedule so that I'm still there for dinner and I'm still there for a softball and I'm still, so it is a lot. Um, and then some days it's like, don't schedule anything, you know, yeah. go get a coffee at Starbucks or, you know, sit in your chair and knit or, Take the dog for a walk by yourself, something, whatever you need to do to just decompress that is 100% necessary mm -hmm. um, because it can get 
overwhelming, as you said, and it kind of just, it sits in your brain. It's like, um, the, the tendency in the beginning of, to, of the Kickstarter is to refresh, 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 mm-hmm. you know, to see your growth. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm refreshing, but there is no growth. Ooh, that's not good. And then that, you know, it starts to play games in your head. But again, that's the normal. Go up, go across, and then go back up again. That's normal. So, mm-hmm. so managing your expectations, right? Yeah, I try to tell people even practice this myself is to kind of just step away from it like you gotta give you have to give things time to uh to to grow or even you know decline or uh uh what is it just go steady for a while you you have to allow things you have to give it time really for it to even happen because you keep refreshing it nothing's gonna happen nothing changed within the last 30 seconds (laughs) I had told myself that because I'm kind of I like I stalk my email for stuff and I was like you you're wasting your whole day on your email when you could be doing something else so you got yourself worked up for something that didn't even happen this whole time right. that's right what it is right and it's that's what it is is that your brain starts messing with you like oh my god I should have gotten that by now or oh my goodness I should be at this percentage right now and it's like no it'll all happen like you said it just needs time to breathe right yeah so mm-hmm. well. My last question for you, Lori, is um, has your idea of success changed from the last time we've, we've spoken? Like, has it completely changed from, <laughs> or completely different than what you thought it would be, you know, six months from now or six months, six months from before to now? Or has the goalpost just moved a couple of yards? I think the goalpost has moved a couple of yards. We're still pretty new. Um, my, my, I think my definition last time, uh, was like having this, the, the single Kickstarter success. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I, I obtained that I met that. And now I'm just trying to succeed at number two. However, um, you know, I still want to develop, uh, and grow. It's like, I grew so much in the last six months from issue one to issue two. I look forward to growing that much more between two and three. To me, that's also success. You know what I mean? Growing, meeting more people, building the community. Um, I got picked up by a uh, publisher just just in the end of September. So like a week before we went live, I am now partnered with uh, Charter Comics. So they're going to be publishing the comic. They're going to be helping me grow. So like that was a big step for me is like finding a publisher going to more cons. I hadn't done any cons. I didn't have a book last time, right? So yeah. <laughs> I can't go to cons. You don't have any books. So now I have a book and we're almost to the second one. So it's just like, I really look forward to that. It's really exponential growth. So every time I complete a book, become that much more professional, have that much more clout behind my name. Um, not not ego wise, but just being like, look, you know, I, I write Path of the Pale Writer, but you know, Charter's giving me some opportunities to write some other series. So it's like, hey, here's issue number four of Psycho Sal, which I wrote, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you, there's other opportunities for me at this point. So I'm looking forward to being like, hey, if you do recognize me from Psycho Sal, hey, try, you know, read my Path of the Pale Writer. It's all about the story, you know, and getting people to be able to, I don't know, disconnect from their life for a short period of time and enjoy, enjoy the story, you know, get sucked in. If it's through the short films, if it's solving the riddles, 
if it's reading about Jude St. Clair and the apocalypse, there's a lot of ways that people can just distance themselves or whatever their anxiety is and read about something else or, you know, enjoy some other kind of entertainment for a short period of time. And that's really why I'm here. I have a great story. I'd love to share it with people. And that's what I'm trying to do. Well, speaking of Path of the Pale Rider, um, is there anything that I may have missed as a whole that you wanted to share? Um, I know for, I guess it's one of the, um, the rewards, right? It's a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things that actually kind of evolved from my last round of uh, promotion was a lot of people were, were learning about the world and were like, hey, this would be a great place for a choose your own adventure story. And I heard it from like six or seven different people. And that's a lot. So to have them independently come up to me and be like, what about a choose your own? Okay, I'm listening. So I wrote one. Um, it's a 60 page black and white. It's a manga sized book as a, a beautiful cover done by Marco DeFillo, which I sent you. Um, it's super exciting. You get to put on the boots and the hat and go run bounties in the wasteland and see how long you're surviving this crazy place, which apparently is not long. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. Most people die, but there is, there is ways to win it. And it's actually really exciting when you do. Um, so yeah, that's a, a backer level. We have metal covers. We have Funko Pops. Look, I had Funko Pops made off the last campaign. So I have Jude St. Clair made. And then this campaign, someone is getting um, BJ the Undead Bear. Someone grabbed that one. I only have one of those. But if you're looking for Funko Pops, I have, um, we're, we're doing um, a collector series every Kickstarter. Um, the collectible stickers are gone but I have all sorts of other goodies, you know? It's like, we have all these cool variants. Uh, we have a Christmas cover, which if you see it, it's really funny because it's like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree decorated with zombie parts. <laughs> wow. That, that face is exactly what we're looking for. So it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, what am I looking at here? It's really funny. It says, welcome to Santa Claus with the number two which is spot on because it's issue number two. Uh -huh. And it's also like, welcome, but it's like the most unwelcoming image you could possibly get on a page. It's like, stay out, you know? Uh -huh. um, so it's just a really fun, you know, play on words and with the, um, with the images. Um, I think I have one more cover coming in. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Ken Salinas, but he does this incredible style called Voo Dudes. Um, he'll basically, he'll take a well-known comic character and turn him into a voodoo doll. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's like one part cute plushy, one part kind of creepy because it's a voodoo doll. Uh -huh. Um, but he has them for just about everybody. Like he was just at New York Comic-Con over the weekend and had a spawn one and hung out with Todd McFarlane. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. That's what I said. He sent me, he was like, Hey, I'm in New York Comic Con. Look who I ran into. Send me a picture of him and Todd McFarlane. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, tell me you have a spawn cover for him. He's like, yeah. So he's like, selfie with him and Todd and the, <laughs> the spawn cover. I was like, you are living everybody's kind of like dream right there. I'd be like, this is my art of your comic. And the creator's there. And it's like giving two thumbs up, like, hey. I'm like, <laughs> So um, I'm excited. He has, he's going to start working on it this week 
and uh, he works pretty quick. So we're going to have something really cool for you guys. And I'm planning on making his design one of our t-shirts and Marco's working on the other one right now. Um, one of them is a not suitable for work. <laughs> it's a picture. It's just because it has some swear words involved with um, American Sign Language. So uh, uh -huh. if you have youngins, please don't send them to school wearing these. Um, they can get the Ken Salinas shirt, which he won't get kicked out of school for. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Like, I don't want that phone call. <laughs> yeah. And I saw the image, the full image that you sent me of the Funko Pop in the back of it. And I was like, oh, that'd be a really cool, like, um, kind of like a trading card almost. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. And then you said the collective covers. So, I mean, I don't know if you have enough characters for the trading cards, but I think that'd be pretty cool too. Just maybe it's like a, and then you send them out. I wouldn't say send them out randomly because I say I don't know if you have enough uh, characters, but like it's an it's a it's only a limited number, and it's a, it's a collective thing. So same thing with the right. covers, the cards are like more of a collective type of thing. I, I think that'd be pretty cool too. We have ideas for that too. I wanted to get a little farther into the story so we could mm -hmm. introduce more characters because you're right. Like issue number one, you get like. Jude and Prince and like Big James the Bear and that's about it. So it's like now we're in issue number two. You get to meet all the people at the bar. You get to meet Dwayne Fink, um, and then we grow from there. You know, like every issue, you get to meet more people, um, and the story develops. So it's like, yeah, we could do like a, a collector's thing and start releasing that um, every issue. So there's plans. I have all these plans. And it's just going to be fun that like every issue that comes out, we start to develop some of these ideas. Like um, I was talking with someone about um, a video game. I was thinking so, about that, but I was like, I don't want to keep putting, no, I keep putting more and more. Yes, let's talk about it. I mean, if anything, I could just write it down and then visit it later. You know what I mean? When I have the time and the funds to do it. Like, mm -hmm. obviously I don't, I can't do all these things all at once because it's big. But mm -hmm. like we were talking about having a um, almost like an Oregon Trail eight bit. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like Oregon Trail type thing. Oregon Trail, cool. like you have died of dysentery, you have died because of an undead bear. It'd be hilarious. And then like if you were to become undead, the game could completely change. Like it could become like a first person shooter where you're the shooter. You're not necessarily the good guy, but it could change style. And like, as you start to decay, things make less sense. Like the game starts to glitch. Mm -hmm. um, so there's really cool things we can do based off of this world. So, mm -hmm. And one more thing, I, it just something just came up. Um, you know how like a lot of those old paintings, Western paintings, I don't know who the artist may be, but I was thinking something maybe like that be pretty cool. You do you get a, a painter or whoever illustrates in a painter's style. So you can be you huh. can do French or something like that. And it's something that, again, it's limited edition. And it's something that will go up on the wall. It's like, it's not even like a print, but it's it looks like the same size of a painting, but it's a, a print maybe, or maybe actually have a painting commissioned. And that'd be like, yeah. you have something for a big backer, but that would probably be right. more along the line, like later down the line yeah. maybe not any time any soon time soon because it's like you said it's nine issues right of the first 13 arc? there's 13. 13 in the first one and then yeah. nine in the second arc and yeah. then there's going to be a third arc well actually the second arc is going to be 12 i'm up to nine i'm trying to <laughs> it's like uh -huh. one of those things like you just don't have enough time to fit it all in the day so it's like yeah, yeah. i finished nine so 10 11 and 12 will close out that arc 
and then there will be a third arc. So I do have an ending in mind. If people are interested, yes, there is an ending, but you kind of want that with a big story. You need to know which direction it's going. This is just my personal opinion. Um, Cause I don't like writing fluff. I don't like reading fluff or watching fluff like an episode, like nothing really happened. You know, Walking Dead was a big one for that. Like their TV show could have a big season opening, fluff, 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 maybe some story development here and there, like a a mid-season finale, big, mid-season, you know, reopening big, and then fluff, fluff, fluff all the way to the finale. It's like, I don't want to watch the fluff. I would just rather watch less episodes. You know what I mean? Just develop the story. Again, that's my own, I'll get off my soapbox. That's my own personal rant. Um, so again, it's like, I could write a fluff episode so that it's 13, right? Because first one's 13. The second one could be 13. We could just make 13 our number, but I don't want to, like, if it doesn't develop the story, I don't need to put it in, you know, and same thing, like in the third, I know where we're going. We're headed that direction. So, I mean, there needs to be a good ending. And so how do you else do you get to like the big ending for like Breaking Bad, you know what I mean? All that stuff was well thought out and developed. It's like you get those TV shows that are ending and I don't think they were prepared to end like uh, Dexter, you know what I mean? Like there's some really terrible endings of TV shows where we're just disappointed. It's like, I really loved this show. And the last feeling I have is like, none of this made any sense, you know? Um, I don't wanna do that. I like my stuff to be well-developed I like there to be fan payoff, you know, I like there to be lots of foreshadowing. Where is Jude going? What is he looking for? Um, so you'll get that in the story. You'll get that from me personally, when you play the riddles and you watch the short films, I'm going to mention things that are going to happen in the comic, or I'm going to foreshadow it. You know what I mean? So you might not even understand what exactly you're watching or you're reading at the time until later on. And then you're like, oh, I see that's what that means. You know what I mean? Or I have seen this character before. Where did I, where did I see this character? And you flip back and you're like, okay, she already showed me this character. I just didn't realize it was them. You know what I mean? So I love doing that kind of stuff. So I don't even know what the question was. Sorry. <laughs> I saw something shiny. No, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was like, um, more stuff as a whole for the, for yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned cons. Do you what cons do you plan on doing? I guess in I don't. Is it too late for for the, this year, or is it more of just going into next year? Well, this year's kind of wrapping up, but I'm going to yeah. be at um, Cowtown Comic Con on October 22nd and 23rd, mm-hmm. uh, which will be a lot of fun. Myself and Marco, we will both be there. We're sharing a table. Uh huh. So if you guys are in the Fort Worth area, please come by. I would love to see you, talk to you, and get, you know, get you a signed copy of my book. Talk to you about the next issue. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, I'm going to get one of those cardboard standups of Big James and Jude. Uh-huh. And Jude's face will be cut out. So you can have like, you put your face in there and it'll be Jude, you know, and you take your picture with Big James. It'd be kind of fun. So that's coming. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's really yeah. cute. I like that. That's Thank different. You. Yeah, it's like you can go to a con and have a selfie with an undead bear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, I want to thank the author of the Path Rider of sorry Path of the Pale Rider comic series, Lori Kakatara, for joining us here today to promote the Kickstarter for the comic second issue. I highly recommend our listeners to give the Path of the Pale Rider issue two Kickstarter a look, share, and back if they can. 
All of Lori's socials and Kickstarter will be listed in this episode details for those who are interested. Again, I'm K.S. Garner, and you've been listening to the Solo Nerdbrick Podcast. Thank you.